small dreams grow big on their own. So I never envisioned the way that it ended up. I just went step by step by step. I didn't have a massive vision. I just took my small vision very seriously and then I saw the opportunities that arose from that and went from there. Speaking to as many people as possible and sharing these ideas and genuinely taking in their feedback and collaborating and building what is possible together. Welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. I'm Paul Fairweather. And I'm Chris Meredith. And Chris and I are on a mission to unpack creativity in life and business through the lens of ideas, stories and visual cognition. And today we have had a most unbelievable interview. Chris, I would say that this is the most impactful interview that we've had in the couple of years that we've been running the Common Creative. I completely agree with that. And there's a moment, and we should not edit it out, when both you and I were lost for words. We were silent by our extraordinary guest, Rachel Barnard, um, an Australian, uh, an architect, and she she then describes, I was lucky enough to be awarded this fellowship. Then it just happened. And she has uh, created a project called Young New Yorkers, um, which is a program for young offenders which embraces the idea of art and creativity as an alternative to getting a criminal record system. What she's achieved in the justice system in America is quite remarkable. Absolutely incredible. He's uh, right, Chris. Quite a few times there I was dumbfounded, but also wanting to learn so much more about uh, what she did, how she did it, and the impact that it's had. Uh, so look, I uh, we recommend all our, our speakers out, <laughs> uh, but uh, this is just something very, very special. Uh, just an amazing person and, and, and probably an unsung hero and will probably remain that way given the racial tensions that exist. Uh, but um, yeah, fantastic. So let's get her on. Yeah. Rachel, welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. Yeah, Rachel, great pleasure to meet you, tuning in from the USA. Likewise, Chris. I'm, I'm excited to get talking today, hearing everything you have to say. Uh, Rachel, uh, can you just quickly give us a quick potted history of your journey from Brisbane to New York and, and Barbados? Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> um, I trained as an architect in Brisbane and worked for a few years and won a travelling scholarship to move to New York for the year and started working as an architect there. Then in 2008, the recession came and I was fortunate enough to be able to go to Columbia University to do a master's in advanced architectural design. And my motto that year was not architecture, so using architecture as a way to get to not architecture. Um, and at the end of that time, I was fortunate enough to win a fellowship for an architectural project of social significance. And that project was Young New Yorkers, and it was going to be a one-off public art project to provide a platform for 16 and 17-year-olds who were being arrested and prosecuted in New York at the time, classified as adults, which meant if they got arrested they would, and the charge went through, 
they would have an adult criminal record for the rest of their lives. So the collateral consequences of that are very damaging. And we did that. It was amazing. Um, provided a platform for teenagers, given that they were too young to vote and impact the legislation directly. And it ended up being court mandated. So the judges and the prosecutors involved were so moved by the process, were so moved that young people were able to step up and advocate for themselves with this creative process, using creativity as a way to advocate for themselves, but also advocate for reform, that they asked us to keep going. And I accidentally became the executive director and founder of the first arts-based alternative to incarceration for young people in New York City. And I ran that for 10 years and I recently stepped down and I'm now starting a few things because I guess I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I'm starting a kid-led toy company and I'm starting a mapping practice. That's a magical way of people self-actualizing beyond whatever categories that they might be hindered by. Look, there is so much to unpack and, and I do want to talk about your kids-led uh, story company and your, your mapping, which I've had the pleasure of experiencing, which is, which is wonderful. It's miraculous, as you say. But I, I don't know how to frame There's so much I want to know about young New Yorkers. But how did you do that as a, you know, a young architect from Brisbane in New York, that you, you, you had this enormous impact on, on the, the justice system there in New York. Like, uh, how? <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know, there's so many ways to answer that question. Um, a lot of it is serendipity. Uh, a friend of mine was talking about expanding the surface area of luck uh, the other day, and I think that's a really good way of talking about one element, which is speaking to as many people as possible and sharing these ideas and genuinely taking in their feedback and collaborating and building what is possible together. But, you know, I won the fellowship. I created these multidisciplinary teams. We would meet at coffee shops voluntarily to talk about what it could be. And then a couple of public defenders said this should be court mandated. And then Chief Judge Lippman, a few months later, said he wanted to raise the age, that is, uh, raise the age of criminal responsibility to 18 from 16. And so all of a sudden it became prudent for judges and courthouses and prosecutors and everyone to look for alternative sentencing options. So they snuck me into court before it even opened one morning. Judge Gabay was setting up his uh, bench and I just said, I want to run Young New Yorkers. I want to run a program for 16 and 17-year-olds. I've got a fellowship from Columbia University. I didn't mention it was from the architecture school. And he just <laughs> said yes on the spot. <laughs> and he brought in people from different agencies and the courthouse administrators. And they were saying, I was saying, I need to start in six weeks. And they were saying, oh, no, we need like three months. And I was like, well my immigration visa runs out in <laughs> exactly like I think it was 12 weeks so we have six weeks to enroll eight weeks to do the program and then two weeks to run the exhibition and then I need to leave the country so and they were like okay and so we did it and it was amazing. Rachel I'd, I'd love to hear 
about the young offenders on the programme. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, eyes are lighting up the thought of kind of art as not as a form of punishment, but as a kind of a way of dealing with young offenders in a very, very positive way. Do, do they come out kind of hating architecture and art, and, but thankful they haven't got a record? Or have, have any new artists or architects emerged from the programme? Well, it's really not a vocational program and I don't care who's talented or brilliant. The creative process inside Young New Yorkers goes far beyond skills and vocational opportunity. It's first, it's a way without using language to explore the trauma of an arrest. If you're 16, if you've, you've jumped the turnstile and you're handcuffed and you're put in the back of a police car and the certain things are said to you just that without being held for arraignment in a group cell with a bunch of adults is traumatizing and so to be able to use art as well as language to process that experience to acknowledge that experience um, to own it rather than have it hidden is really helpful. Not everyone is great with language and as a society we're very language based but there are lots of different ways creative creativity and visual art and movement art being one of them to access the human experience and express the human experience and become present to our own human experience. And then there's also using art and creativity as a way to advocate for yourself. So we would do what we called aspirational self-portraits and we would look at visual representation. So using photography, take a photo of yourself that's similar to your favourite musician, Um, oftentimes rappers, so a low camera angle, you look scary, you look, you put on a, you put your shoulders out to fill the frame, you look down at the camera, Um, You're allowed to hop on the table to do that, to like just maximize the effect right through to being a president. So how would you take a shot if you're the president? And then it's like eye hide and so on. And then we collage those photos with different animals and images to represent who they are. And we would present this to the court to say, this is who they are beyond their rap sheet because they stand inside court silently and their rap sheets are read out and maybe a very grim social worker report is read out and they don't get to say anything and with young new yorkers they get to present the artwork and visually it represents who they are and it gives them a chance to advocate for themselves and it gives a chance to the prosecutors and the judges who are very tired by the churn of the courtroom um to break open a sense of possibility around an individual rather than just processing a bunch of people that are kind of reduced to objects, really, just process, process, process. Um, And then the other thing is that the exhibitions, they use creativity to give people this immersive experience of what they're advocating for. And they advocated for all sorts of radical change. They addressed everything from police violence to gun violence to racial injustice as perpetuated by the criminal legal system. Um, They talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and made the judges and prosecutors admit what needs they'd never had met. So every time you got 
every time you answered the questionnaire and you ha have you ex ever experienced homelessness? Have you ever worried about your safety going home? Have you ever not known when your next meal is going to come from? And everything you answered yes, you've got a medallion on a crown. And so then you have judges and lawyers walking around with a very bare crown. And all of a sudden you see what these young people are up against and that they're being essentially criminalized for. Because jumping the turnstile is not only an immature decision, it's often what is termed as a crime of poverty. And so why should someone be handcuffed on top of all the other things that they're experiencing that don't meet the base level means? And like, frankly, the adults around them in society are responsible for providing. So they're just making things like that crystal clear and having the young people use creativity as a way to advocate for that. And all of those exhibitions were from what was important uh, for the young people. And I really do believe that they changed the culture of courtrooms radically. And so they've, what they have done, those young people, is create more restorative, humane courtrooms for future young people to be treated with more proportionate sentencing options and to lower arrest rates. They were a big part of the criminal legal shift that has been happening in the United States and especially in New York City. It's, it's such an inspiring story, Rachel. I, I, I can't wait for the movie to come out. It's just, it's, it's incredible. And there's a whole bunch of questions in my mind. But one of the, is there any sign of it snowballing? What about other cities? What about San Francisco, LA, or even Brisbane or Sydney? It sounds like such a good idea. And to turn, you talked about the, the legal system almost treating people as objects, which I kind of resonate with totally. And putting humanity into a courtroom bearish the thought so any chance of it snowballing well it's certainly not going to snowball under my leadership one of the things that i discovered as you both probably know <laughs> is that the limits of the organization are the limits of your selfhood as the leader oftentimes you can approach the challenges an organization is having through that lens and it's a helpful lens uh so I'm not an operator, Chris. <laughs> I don't see <laughs> systems and procedures that most people need to thrive. I'm one of those people that just sees the future. And when I'm stressed and there's a lot of problems, I just see the future more. You know, I just see creativity in the future more. And to run an organization, you need all sorts of people. You need people that are analytical, that need structures that can expand inside those structures or building upon structures and I don't see them. Rachel, um, you say you're not that person, but you ran it for 10 years, obviously very yes. successful. Um, did that make your, you more creative because you were more stressed and so therefore you saw a greater vision or was it just hard work? I never put down the creative innovation, uh, young person-centered approach. I never saw a big pot of money available from the city, for example, and thought we're going to pivot to do re-entry, which um, some organisations did, people leaving um, prisons or jail. A lot of money was put so that they could re-enter. And I was like, we're not doing that because we're going to create the space, a loving and empowered space where people get to see who these kids really are instead of jail, before jail, creating a whole landscape that is the center 
So it's not alternative to incarceration, incarceration being the central normal option. It's the big-hearted, courageous, youth-centered center, and incarceration would be a, like a just inhumane alternative in the imagination of the culture. So that was so I stayed true to the vision. And I never stopped ideating and innovating uh, in partnership with the young people and the team. How, how did it go? Obviously, you know, I think you've had about 1,500 people, uh, young people through it over that 10 mm-hmm. years. Um, like, you know, what, what are some of the stories of impact? I mean, there's so many ways of looking at impact. Um, you know, we could tell a story about particular young people, um, but as importantly, we can talk about the impact it had on professionals inside the system. I had a few judges write to me together to say that I had made them better judges and I had made the lawyers in their courtrooms better lawyers because of the program. And I thought that was probably the biggest acknowledgement of my lifetime. I really valued that acknowledgement um, that I'd created a platform where the young people themselves got to introduce themselves and introduce what was possible for them so that when a judge or a prosecutor or even a guard saw a young person, they saw a young New Yorker, not another offender, a criminal, monster, punk, you know, they saw a young New Yorker and they just vividly, visually, like in the physical body, had many, many experiences through young New Yorkers of just how extraordinary they were. And I think that is a huge, that's a very meaningful accomplishment or difference to me. And then, you know, another thing was that at the end of my tenure, the DA election was up in New York City in Manhattan. So in the States, the prosecutor, the head prosecutor is, the district attorney is elected by the public. And the young people moderated one of the most important debates of that election. And they said, this was my experience. You call it a crime of poverty. How are you going to address and navigate this? You know, and people were called on to answer. And that's extraordinary. But for me, what is really extraordinary is when we put this idea to the young people themselves, not a single person was like, oh, my gosh whoa, that's a really big step up. They were like, of course, we should be the people to ask the questions. We're the ones most impacted by the system. We are the ones that understand how it really is from the perspective of a young person that's been handcuffed right through to going through to multiple court experiences and having to do certain programs and have social workers involved in things. And they, it was just a no-brainer for them. So that I, I created a culture where young people not only knew what, that what they had to say was important, they expected to have a chance to say it and they expected that it be weighted on level with what anyone else says. And I'm, I'm really proud of that too. Um, that is really meaningful. That kind of culture is just really meaningful to me and... I've since stepped into other spaces and found it very jarring that that's not the culture. (laughs) And I was like, oh, it was even normalized for me. (laughs) You know, it was even normalized for me. You were saying that having established the kind of 
a sense of a level playing field in the legal system, but the same was not true in the new fields you went to. Um, right, it's not. So it's, it's not. Yeah, no, I, the kids would say to each other, I really like what Kamani said when he said X, Y, Z, and I would say it differently like this, or I respect that point of view because they've had this experience, but I disagree because of my experience, which is this. And grown adults don't know how to talk about difficult things like that. And these extraordinary young people did on a regular basis and they were heard by the city of New York and I'm, I'm really proud of that. What can we learn from you? I'm, I'm listening to a, an Australian architect talking about the way they've made a big impact on the American legal system. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. How do you, how do you get from there? What, what can we learn? What, what, was there a defining moment you realised this is possible? Well, I, I have to say, it's, it's so tempting to say it's a Rachel story. It's not a Rachel story. It was like all the timing lined up. You know, it was a dance with the city and the moment and the young people and all my collaborators. But I think a way I can answer that question, I guess I could answer it in a few different ways. The first thing is, I very early on, I had a little collage that said, small dreams grow big on their own. So I never envisioned the way that it ended up. I just went step by step by step. Um, and then the next big opportunity came and I would step into it or out of my commitment to the young people, all of a sudden I have to present budgets to a board and I would just be like, okay, this is hard and horrible, quick books and financing, but I can learn how to do this and I would learn how to do those things outside of a larger commitment. So I didn't have a massive vision. I just took my small vision very seriously and then I saw the opportunities that arose from that and went from there. Um, it was a very collaborative process, both with other people, but dare I say, the universe. Rachel, you've just described there, and there's so many great little snippets there about you know your creative process and how you approach that. I'm wondering whether you can give us the same insight about the power of creativity through the lens of the the young people. You know, you've talked a little bit about it, about them expressing themselves, or what it is about creativity you know, that that this was, you know, was so powerful in, in this program that you've done, as opposed to other things they could have done, as you said, social workers or, you know, I don't know what other uh, options they had. But, you know, what is it about the creativity um, that's been so powerful? I think one of the first things is that, for example, the first criminal legal agency that said yes to me, uh, which wasn't the judge, I'll keep them anonymous, the CEO said, all right, I'll sign off on this so you can go and finger paint with the kids or whatever. <laughs> so it's, And I was like, I both love you and hate you right now. And then we had a very strong collaboration for 10 years because we were just both such straight shooters. But um, it's a very unexpected strategy. People underestimate it. And then all of a sudden they step into a creative environment and they have a lived experience of what is possible not in some distant future, not because of some essay, but because they're living it right now with young people who were arrested. And the young people have created this environment, this immersive situation that, for example, the kids would often use 
I'll speak about a specific exhibition. Um, a group of young women were really upset that some people were given second chance, third chance, tenth chance, twelfth chance. But in their neighbourhoods, they were arrested and sent to jail almost immediately. And so they created a giant gift box inside of the courtroom and it was silver streamers hung by 200 helium balloons because obviously we can't hang artwork on the walls of the courtroom. And uh, they had, you know, if you imagine that you're a prosecutor stepping into that or a judge stepping into that, it's just so surprising to see a courtroom bedazzled and magical like that and then you stepped into the gift box and they had you write down on a silver disc, what's a mistake you've made? What did you learn from that? What wisdom would you offer others? And then they would pack it up, pack it up and wrap it up and decorate it. And as you exited, you would get someone else's wisdom in a gift box. But at the same time, it was the young people manning the witness stand, the, justness, uh, the judges bench, and you would have to certify your gift with them and you would have these meaningful interactions where the young people were in the elevated position of power and um, everybody else was on the ground. And it just, it's the kind of thing where you leave delighted and then you wake up at three o'clock in the morning thinking, what are we doing to young people? What, what are we doing? Because this is just so immediate and so authored from the young people and you have exchange after exchange. It's not just you meet the A plus young person, you're meeting every single young person and their story is so compelling. There's so many points of connection and they're your friend, you know? And how can you allow for a world that incarcerates your friend for just being young? Chris and I always fight each other to ask questions, but you know, I don't think in you know the, the history of our podcast we've we've ever had such a a powerful monologue. You know, and and it, you know, and I have I have goosebumps. You know, listening to you, and mm. you know, and yes, you know, the question: what are what are we doing? And uh, and the, and mm. and you know, and the power of the description of that thing that I'm assuming they came up with that whole process, and the power that that had, obviously, on the the people on the other side of the fence, the adults, the judges, the prosecutors, um, and probably even their defenders who are tired and just, you know, another one, another one, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, it's good for everyone. And the other thing is, as a society and as adults, we need to be responsible for the environments that we're authoring for our young people. What opportunities do they have to experience their own greatness? And in Brooklyn, if you're in a poor neighbourhood, there aren't extracurricular activities. You're hungry. People around you are hungry. There are fights. There are scary people on the corner. Um, there's your parent who doesn't want you to join a gang or your parent who is in a gang and, you know, and all of these things to navigate. And what opportunity is there to know your greatness beyond being good at finessing on the street or beyond being a tough guy or beyond being the funny guy that wiggles his way out of harm and bad situations. And at Young New Yorkers, every single kid was extraordinary because we held space for them to be extraordinary. And they got to experience their own greatness because we held space for them to be great and to discover what they're great at through lots of different 
exercises and discussions and practices and we always expected them to be our partners. We were never teaching them anything. It's if we taught them a book smart, what we call the book smart about something, we would say, this is the book smart. You're the expert. Is it true? And then they would start to share their own experiences, a little bit of a sneaky way to process trauma. And then a big discussion would happen. And it was very impactful for everyone. It was transformative. And once you know yourself to be extraordinary and once you know your voice is the one that should be heard and what is with this crazy reality we're living in, you're changed and your demands of the world are changed. Um, but it's not easy because there's so few environments that are offered to young people like that. Rachel, you now... Um moved over as chief exec of uh, mm-hmm. Young New Yorkers, haven't you? And you've got a new venture, Parenthood Ventures. Yes. And I, I'd love to hear all the parallels. You, t- uh, you talked about the sphere of coincidence, I think it is, that you've got to be listening to people, talking to people, and kind of open to new ideas. Is there a similar story for Parenthood Ventures? Um, well, it's called Big Brain Box, and um, the Ventures is part of a accelerator I'm a part of in my wheeling and dealing but for Big Brain Box um, the things that are similar are that I have a board of kid directors and they're the ones that are helping design the toys and decide what the voice of the business is Um, and they say the most extraordinary things that surprises adults and blows their minds and that's very powerful so it's not just a toy company it's like an advocacy group for the environment um centering the voices of those people that are going to inherit the world and yet it's fun and playful so i think being fun and playful and yet very serious and having powerful young people is definitely something that i learned from young new yorkers and then i am keeping an eye out for the magic and the traction but I'm not in a spiritual traction moment (laughs) if I can coin that uh, (laughs) yet but the thing to remember is when I won the fellowship at Young New York for Young New Yorkers for more than a year all I did was work part-time and meet with people And it was nothing, 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 nothing for a very long time. And I had so much energy and so much vision and so much excitement. I was so moved to have this honor of working with young people. Um, I had no idea what that was going to be like, but I took it very seriously. Uh, Yet it was nothing for a long time. And I lost quite a few people along the way because nothing's happening here. I'm out peace you know and then we went into the courtroom and we got a very big yes and it was on and then it was a sprint (laughs) and so I think I'm in that nothing phase but also I think I'm I think I've been a workaholic since I'm 14 so just on my personal journey I'm learning to rest and relax I just wanted to make some stuff that I that I that I'm aware of that you haven't mentioned that uh, two things one is that the scholarship that you had, and you know, we know the you know deep pockets of American philanthropists, but it was only twenty grand, if I understood. Right. So, you know, so. And the federal government took, I think, twelve. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> in taxes. Because I'm foreign. For, yeah, I'm foreign. So you had eight thousand so dollars. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. so oh my god. You know that 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 is incredible in itself. But the other thing too is, as I understand that um, the young people that successfully completed your program, I'm assuming, uh, who participated in your program, had their case closed and their file closed? Yeah, dismissed and sealed. That was very important because we all know that kids uh, don't think ahead. The frontal lobe isn't developed. So it was important for us that 16 to 25-year-olds wouldn't get a record that would impact their whole adulthood. Um, that's just very unjust. And if you look in any country, arrest rates drop sharply at the age of 25. So we really wanted to keep kids unscathed. Yeah. Um, because they all come from the same neighborhood and then the social capital of that neighborhood is oppressed again for another generation and another generation. And so that's one thing we would talk about. We don't know what we're going to be like when we're 40, but knowing who we are, it's going to be something amazing. And we want to help our nieces, our nephews, the kid on the block. But if we get a, a rap sheet, a record, it's very, um, it's like less likely and less likely and less likely that we will be able to get those opportunities to self-actualize like that. You know, mm. a lot of the impact of criminal records attack the very basic needs people need. Like you can't get housing, things, access to food stamps may be limited. You know, it's just fail, gross, disgusting transparent oppression um i do have a question you mentioned that you know a, a majority of the offenders were, were you know young african-american did, did you have you know were you riding on the back of crocodile dundee uh like you know how were you how, how was your acceptance were people skeptical like you know or were they just curious like um, I, I mean, I think in the larger movement, especially towards the end when criminal legal reform was accelerating, it wasn't acceptable to have a white woman as the leader of an organisation. Uh, we needed representational leaders and leaders from the communities that were most impacted. At the beginning, I think it would have been very hard for someone to go in and get that agreement if they weren't a white woman. And that's sad and disgusting but it's also true so i think that's one way of answering the question with the young people there was i can't even think of any time it was an issue i was just there seeing them as extraordinary it really wasn't about me i listened i built up a collective wisdom for young New Yorkers, I think when you have a real relationship, those things kind of based on reality, not me trying to tell them how to do things based on my life experience, which has nothing to do with nothing in their lives. It's just a beautiful partnership, relationship. It's just a space between two extraordinary people and it's, tr it's just true and honest. So I never had any trouble. No one ever mentioned Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> um, and um, sometimes there were differences and we would be playful with them. But, yeah, I was just 100 million percent fighting for them and seeing them as extraordinary. And what's not to like about that? Mm. 
it wasn't it wasn't ever an issue it was just a space between people is mm. is what i would say i'm i'm looking for the kind of the meta lessons the kind of broader because we're, we're so mm. drawn to the story of young yugas but you mentioned you kind of you're in a period of rest and you and you've been before and, and Phases where nothing, nothing, nothing happens, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if that's a really important phase for us all to go through. And, and I'm conscious of the expression that certainly Aussies and um, British originally ask each other, which is, you know, are you busy? And the expectation is you are. It's important to be busy, to be doing something. And you, you're going through a period of rest. Uh, can I just ask you what? What gives you the confidence to rest when everybody else is trying to make the world busy? I got so sick from overwork. I got Bell's palsy. I got shingles. Um, I didn't have a choice but to reckon with that workaholism, that drive, and to honour the other parts of my selfhood. Um, Young New Yorkers was a magical period of my life and I'm so grateful to everyone who was involved. I'm just so grateful. And I sacrificed everything else. It was the first, second, third, fourth, fifth most important thing to me, you know, and I need... Stepping down just had a lot of grief as a consequence because I was giving up almost my whole life and and almost all my love was expressed at that civic community level. So it was it was devastating. And so I think a lot of people or a lot of women my age or a lot of people post COVID are really reckoning with how driven and they were and how we can't we just physically cannot keep doing it i think there's a much better way of saying it which is you need rest there's mm-hmm. a metaphor about not planting a field for a season or something <laughs> that we can yeah, apply fine, here fine. and this is our one beautiful precious life uh to quote mary oliver you know why not give ourselves some special time to just rest and relax Uh, but for me it was inescapable because I was very tired and burnt out and I I was running on fumes for too long. Rachel uh, I I, I don't know what to say I'm just you know I've known your story and and, and we have spoken before but I am absolutely uh, blown away by this conversation about about you, you, about your insights, and and the impact that you've had. You know, and so many of us talk about it, but you actually did it, uh, and uh, and you know, not even in your backyard. You know, you sort of like it, it, it's just an incredible story, and uh, and, and well done, you. Can, you know, congratulations, uh, and uh, I'm in in total awe of you. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to echo that, um, Rachel, if I may, and and I hope it's it's going to be documented. I, I, maybe this conversation is part of it, but you know the book or uh, the movie, and not not so much to kind of show off, but to document what you've achieved so others can learn from it. I think it's um, it is truly inspiring. It's been great to talk to you. Thank thank you both, and uh, I. I'm just very grateful for the whole thing. It, it's not something I manifest alone, and. I feel very lucky that I had that 10 years where everything was hard won with a dash of magic. Hard won with a dash of magic. That's, uh, I think we might have to, we might have, title. <laughs> we might have to call it the episode. We try to use the word creativity in there, but I think we might, uh, we, we might break the rule this time, Rachel. Yeah. So uh, look, thanks. Uh, thanks again uh, for making 
time. Now, listen, I, we will put some uh, notes uh, in the show notes. There will be some links uh, both to, to, to Young New Yorkers and your Big Brain Box, but also to you uh, for your service of mapping with people. And as I said earlier, I've had that experience and it's great and I'm sure people will, will listening to this will uh, go, yes, I, I need this person to help me unlock my magic. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I, I loved it. I've, it's a real pleasure speaking yeah. with you both. So, Chris, um, I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I think she says it all so well. What she's achieved is so, on such a big scale and from a background that would be totally unexpected. A, 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 an Australian trained architect, a white woman dealing with issues of race, of youth, um, of gun violence in a foreign country. It's, it's inspiring what she's achieved, but also inspiring that she, it makes you feel you, you can achieve anything because she's achieved what she's achieved. Um, mm. Yeah, mm. Um, extraordinary. Yeah, story. no, absolutely uh, uh, inspiring. Absolutely inspiring. So uh, we will put uh, in the show notes how to uh, find Rachel, find young New, New Yorkers and Big Box Brain, as well as her uh, kids' directed toy uh, venture that she's doing. Plus her links that you can sign up with her and do some mapping she has she's incredibly articulate she is incredibly insightful and if anyone understands the creative process it's rachel barnard Mm. so um if you have enjoyed today's show please give us a rating uh, leave a review and tell your friends and i think this episode in particular needs to be shared so we appreciate it and Rachel would obviously appreciate it as well. Share the episode and we will see you next week on The Common Creative. Thanks for joining us.